Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a podcast about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm your host, Gabby Dunn. This week, we are doing another breakdown and takedown. I am so excited because I made my friend Christina Catucci, aka TikTok's Steen, S-T-E-E-N. You have seen her on TikTok. If you are on TikTok, you can't miss her. She's hilarious. Um, And I made her read a whole ass book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. A lot of you guys talked about how this book was always in your house growing up. If you grew up in the like 90s to early 2000s, if you were young at that time, a lot of our parents had that goddamn book. Um, And so I made my friend Christina, and I feel guilty about this because of how this episode goes. uh, I made her read this whole ass book. I read this whole ass book, and it is horrifying. Um, I, I don't even know. I, I, we just have to get into it because I don't even know where to begin. If you don't know anything about this book, dive in with us because you don't really need to have read it beforehand. You don't even really need to know anything about it. We are going to get into every little nook and cranny of it. And it's, it's so bad. It's so, I'm heated. So let's just get into it. Hello. Can you tell my audience who you are and what you do? Hi, my name is Christina Catucci or Steen. You can call me Steen. I'm a writer in LA. Uh, right now I'm a producer in LA. And how did we meet? We met through TikTok. Ooh. I, you know, I like making my little funny sketches. Um, <laughs> and I was looking for LGBTQ friends mm-hmm. and I found them. And I said, I protest LGBTQ people. I hate them. <laughs> That's how we can friends. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you you have. I know you you don't you're unassuming in in person, but you have very strong opinions. So that's why I wanted you to join me on this journey because. I, okay, so we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm so sorry that I made you read this. (laughs) I can't apologize enough. Uh, I have like 10 pages of notes where I have just (laughs) lost it. So much to say. The whole book was a bit. That's like how I would pitch this book. (laughs) For someone who doesn't take it seriously, like if you're not like a Republican or whatever, it's a bit book otherwise. because It's completely all bits. I can't I can't wait to get into it. So first of all, okay, so this book is written by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, he is the founder of Rich Global LLC and the Rich Dad Company, which became a private financial education company. Um, he kind of franchised out the whole Rich Dad thing. He re- he's written 26 books. The books are 
international bestsellers. This book was like on everyone. All these people commented saying this was on my dad's nightstand my whole life. And as of uh, like Wikipedia, he is in a class action suit filed by people who attended his seminars. He's been the subject of two investigative documentaries. His company, Rich Global LLC, fired, filed for bankruptcy in 2012. There's this kind of ongoing theme with these books that we're reading where uh, their businesses have later gone bankrupt. Uh, In 2016, he's uh, supported Donald Trump for president. He also co-authored two books with uh, President, ex-President Trump. He is from Hawaii. And so a lot of this book takes place in Hawaii. I debated going hard into this man, mm -hmm. but... I think there was so much just in this book that I almost want to keep it purely to what is happening in this book. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so the book came out in 1997, the first version. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert T. Kiyosaki. What the rich teach their kids about money that the poor and middle class do not. Huge spoiler alert. It really is just avoid taxes. Yes. But uh, <laughs> we'll get into it. I've been reading a lot of these books because I'm like, all right, what do these men have to say? And I right. gotta say that like 90% of it is avoid taxes as much as you can. So the book starts with a, a 20 years reflection. So 20 years years, you know, this book came out that many years ago. He talks about, you know, in the little sections of the book, uh, he puts little updates to what he is saying. The updates don't really do much or mean much or say anything in terms of reflecting on himself. The premise of the book is that he has a highly educated poor dad, which is his biological father, who is some sort of liberal Democrat. And then he has a rich dad, who is his friend Mike's father, who is a sociopath. And he (laughs) takes what he learned from uh, his highly educated poor dad and his rich dad who uh, does child abuse to him for most of his life. (laughs) It's not his actual father. It's his friend's Mike's father. Did you also think they were gay dads at first? I fully thought that he had two gay dads. Me too. And I was like, oh, cool. I never heard of this before. (laughs) It it did not. So I thought it was either two gay dads or I thought his mother was married to one man and then later married the rich Mm -hmm. man. That's what I thought. Um, I had no idea going into this that it was a man that was not his actual father, which is, this book is an entire fuck you to Robert's actual dad. (laughs) Um, which is wild. (laughs) So it starts with this lesson that basically is like the increases in income are going to entrepreneurs and investors and not to employees. So he kind of has this whole thing where like you shouldn't save, you become a loser if you save. And he says some stuff that does make sense where he's like, the reality is the rich will always pay less in taxes. As long as a person works for money, they will they will pay taxes. So, you know, he talks about Democratic politicians trying to raise taxes on those with high incomes. Um, And he writes people like doctors, actors and lawyers, but not the real rich, which are the people who are actually in need of being taxed. Now, one big thing that happens in this book and in a lot of books that I've read, but particularly in this book, and I don't know if you found this too, that he almost gets it like he has the right information. And then he makes the complete wrong conclusion. Oh, absolutely. He'll be like, rich people are evil and exploit poor people. And that's what you should do. Like, that's literally what he says. 
Yes. So yeah, I don't know. What was your information about this book or like going into it? How much did you know? And what did you expect? I had like heard of the title before, but like never really knew about the book or what it was about. And I was laughing the whole time. I was laughing. <laughs> okay. So you seem to find a lot of this very funny. I do. <laughs> Why? Well, for starters, just the way he writes is really funny because he'll be like, oh, I suck at writing. I'm such a bad writer. And then it does suck. So I kept <laughs> laughing because he would say that. I'd be like, I'm such a bad little writer. And then it would be really bad. And I was like, well, so true. Like, you're really bad at this. Because what he does is he'll, he writes like a fan fiction writer. He'll be oh. like, pushed his glasses to the middle of his head and chuckled. And then one time he even said, like, he put his hand on the back of his neck. I'm like, what? It's like a Harry Styles fan fiction. Like, it feels like it's going to become that. So in that regard, it had me laughing a lot. As someone who has written a bit of a memoir myself, I always think it's funny when someone recalls a conversation. I mean, my brain just works differently where someone recalls a conversation and is like, he chuckled. Like I went through my journals in order to write my my memoir sections and I have no clue what my dad did. I just have what I have on the paper. So right. to like spin this yarn of like a tumbleweed world by or whatever, like that, that to me immediately is like, this is not true. You're just kind of painting a picture. It totally has to be fake, right? Because that was something I was going to ask you as well. It's like, it's not real, right? There has been some research into whether Mike's dad is real. They have some theories as to who he actually is. Mike himself has been interviewed, I think, on on the Rich Dad, Poor Dad podcast, whatever. So Mike is real. Um, And then Mike's father owned a chain of hotels in Hawaii. So there's some element of like, this man is real. But yes, is this man, is Rich Dad actually real? Did any of this happen? Only Mike and Robert know. Yeah, he's not gonna uh, tell. There's lo- I think a lot of it to me and what I've looked at in my research is that this man was a real man, but none of this actually happened. That's kind of what I was leaning towards as well. Just the way he like writes how children talk too gives away that it's probably not real. He'll just he'll just talk really, really properly and it's supposed to be like a seven-year-old. Like, yeah. Tell me more about taxes and investing, Mike's dad. <laughs> well, also to. he gives himself, so he does a lot of conversations with his child self and with uh, Rich Dad and he gives himself the liberal talking points as a child. So almost as if to infer that only naive and childish people believe these things. Okay, this is the introduction. Um, He talks about how uh, one dad died leaving tens of millions of dollars to his family, charities, and church. The other left bills to be paid when he died. So this is a reoccurring thing that comes up in these books where they're all written by men and it's like, do not pay your taxes. But then it talks about give to charity and give to your church. And I was trying to figure out if you believe so much in charity and giving back, why not taxes? And it's about control. They don't want the money to go to what they perceive as people who have done this to themselves. Poor people, God forbid, atheists, God forbid, black people. Like, it really is just, I want to give this to a subset of white Christians, and how do I do that? And taxes, and through taxes, they can't do that. So he says that his poor dad said, the rich should pay more in taxes to take care of those less fortunate. The other said, taxes punish those who produce and reward those who don't produce. Okay, but then again, his takeaway is, therefore, don't pay taxes. He's just a bad person. It's almost like... 
and, and we talked about the big short and there's the part in the big short where Max Greenfield's character is like bragging about all the stuff that they've done down in Florida with the real estate market. And uh, one of the guys goes, why is he admitting to these crimes? And the other <laughs> guy's like, he's not, he's bragging. And so like, that's what this crux of this is. Now he's also been criticized and I think called sued or called out for a lot of his advice being illegal, <laughs> loosely yeah. illegal, which right. comes up a lot. He talks about how people have uh, entitlement mentalities, which entitlement comes up a lot. He also talks about how highly educated politicians and government officials are making financial decisions with little or no training in the subject of money. One dad taught me how to write an impressive resume so I could find a good job. The other taught me how to write strong business and financial plans so I could create jobs. So here's the thing. They create jobs, but then they say, you should not be part of those jobs and that rat race. Right. So I get lost in this loop where I'm like, you're giving this advice, but then who works for you? Yeah, no, it's just weird that he's admitting that like he's created these jobs, like you said, and he infers that like people who take them don't work very hard and are dumb. But then he describes the jobs as extremely difficult and like exploitation. He contradicts himself in that way and then like doesn't care. So I feel like the whole thing that he's trying to say is like you have to become the villain <laughs> he's like become evil. yes well here's the other thing that comes up is that these people are like i'm a businessman but then they write these books and then their whole business and life and a w way of making money comes from giving financial advice right. so then they've just like completely lost touch and also their job is not their job anymore their job is to make a bunch of money off of other people trying to learn about money. Right. And it was really weird, too, because at one point, I think towards the end of the book, he was like, you should join an MLM. I was like, okay. oh, my God. <laughs> yes, the MLM of it all. So in chapter one, we learned that Rich Dad gives Mike and Robert jobs. You mentioned that uh, he talks about Robert is worried that it violates child labor laws. Poor dad is like, you have to go and get a raise or you should quit immediately. Ask for 25 cents an hour. And and they're doing stuff like chores around the store and stuff. They're, they're working for rich dad's company. There's the, all this stuff where basically he's like, don't ask for a raise, just start your own business. And if you learn this lesson, you will grow into a wise, wealthy, and happy young man. And if you don't, you will spend your life blaming a job, low pay, or your boss for your problems. A lot of this book is him trying to avoid the little guy getting mad at the boss, which is him. So he's, so can you explain a little bit to like choosing to not pay the kids? So basically him and Mike get a job helping rich dad with his store. A weird detail is that like, it's so dusty out that they keep the doors open because it's really hot as well. And there's no AC. So every time these like little kids stack all the cans up, dust comes and blows it all down, which I was like, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> So they they uh they work for like what is it like ten cents? It's a very low low wage, and I think his dad tells him his his real dad tells him to ask for a pay increase. So when he does, rich dad is like, no, and now you're getting no money. This is exploitation. Like this is awful. You're exploiting children. Like you said, you wanted to teach me the value of money. You're not giving me money. And then very confusingly, he's like. 
Yes. And I never got closure on that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that he will then, because he's not making any money at his job, he will then become creative in his mind and come up with ways to make money and, and, and not rely on his salary. And so what ends up happening is he realizes that they're throwing away the comic books. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps, they don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances, you can collaborate on your budget, you can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now get an extended 30 day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y. 
patreon.com slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And so he decides he's going to take the comic books and you can't resell them legally, but he starts a library of comic books and other kids come and give like a nickel to read the comic books, which he's getting for free from the store. And he realizes that by not resting on his salary, he's able to then come up with a business idea. This whole thing is truly a very insidious trick to make sure that the blame falls on the individual person, that the person feels guilty asking their boss for more money, that they view asking for more money as actually bad and like actually like keeping them trapped. Because the dad says, if I gave you 25 cents an hour, you would just keep working here. And you would just have your wage. But because I'm giving you no money, now you're being creative. And so often, this is just to keep the employee blaming themselves, thinking they're doing something wrong. Um, And it happens over and over again. He says basically like, after he fights him and says, you exploit your workers, it says, rich dad laughs. You'd best change your point of view. Stop blaming me and thinking I'm the problem. If you think I'm the problem, then you have to change me. If you realize you're the problem, then you can change yourself. He sounds like a narcissistic abuser. <laughs> it's it's abuse. It's abuse this whole time. It's abuse this whole... He also says, like, my employees don't come to me and ask me about um, how to learn about money. They just ask me for a paycheck or a job. They, you know, work for money their whole lives. And I just wrote, life is immediate. Right. Like, you need money to live that this man doesn't seem to like grasp. Right. So then he talks about accepting a small paycheck and he says, high paying jobs mean two things. You're working for money and the taxes you pay will probably increase. I've learned to put my money to work for me and enjoy the tax benefits of generating income that doesn't come from a paycheck. Rich Dad says, some people say I exploit people because I don't pay as much as the sugar plantation or the government. I say people exploit themselves. It's their fear not mine. Most people become a slave to money and then get angry at their boss. So I said, how convenient. Don't pay taxes and don't get mad at your boss. It's awful. I feel bad laughing, but it's so funny how dumb he is. But it's so, it preys on a real thing that people already think. Like he's going in and being like, you're not good enough to people who already believe they're not good enough because they're buying this book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's preying on their insecurities. He's a super capitalist. Some capitalists pretend they're not. 
But he's like, no, I am. Here's my 26 <laughs> books. Buy my MLM. Yeah, join an MLM, which comes yeah. up later. So he said, why do people, Robert asks, why do people let the government do that to them? Which is pay taxes. And then he says, the rich don't. The poor and middle class do. I'll bet you I earn more than your dad, yet he pays more in taxes. I wrote, who does this leave behind? It's that thing where he's almost there. Right. He almost understands this is unfair. But it's like he doesn't care it's unfair. He's like, as long as long as I'm winning yes. off this being unfair, then it's okay. That's exactly it. That's You just summed it up. That's exactly it. It's like, don't make the world better. Just how do you get ahead? Which is honestly, this is when people say, oh, well, they're a billionaire, but like they didn't exploit anyone or they're a good billionaire. There's no such thing. Right. All of this is how to step on people. Yep. He has an employee that he wor- that works with him, the woman, and he says, oh, she's like a mother to me. She's family. But then he treats her like shit and he talks shit about her and says she's married to her salary. She's never going to get anywhere. Oh, it was awful. And then he had the kids saying, well, I guess Robert wrote the kids were saying none of it happened. <laughs> that they like <laughs> would never want to be like her. There mm-hmm. was like a single line where they were like, ew, we'd never want to be like her. Like mm-hmm. I thought of her and how dumb she is. It's like, oh, awful. Yeah, the, there's a reoccurring theme and we talked about this in the Batman episode of servants being like family. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> It's complicated and bad. And I do apologize, but I, I have lost my mind. And Oh, no, this has dr- driven me insane as well. I was um really embarrassed at points reading this because I was reading it on a plane. <laughs> and I was like, I hope no one thinks I'm not reading this ironically. Like, how do I like how do I like position this so it looks like I'm reading it ironically. <laughs> this is probably, yeah, this is still in lesson one. I found something really, really funny where he talks about the cone of learning. And it's basically like, I guess this upside down pyramid that he like rates how important learning certain things are. And at the very bottom is reading. And then I'm like, <laughs> I wrote, he wrote a book and it's reading. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> he admits to not reading. Oh my God. Well, he does say one thing that I agree with, which is that school is largely useless, which I do right. I do agree with. Um, I mean, look, my notes are like psychotic, uh, but which is <laughs> fitting because I just kept writing sociopath. I understand that people have problems with it, but let me just say that I stand by that 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so the main cause, so he says the main cause of poverty or financial struggle is fear and ignorance. And then he says, and now here's how we exploit those people. It's awful. <laughs> he does that so many times. Uh. So, okay. So here, let me read this to you. Okay. So you've been talking about the fear of not having money. How does the desire for money affect our thinking? Mike asked. How did you feel when I tempted you with a pay raise? Did you notice your desires rising? Oh, yeah. He does this other crazy fucked up thing. The rich dad where he says, I'll give you five dollars. Take the job. Oh, yeah. And then the boys are supposed to say no and they don't. And then he says, good, you're not able to be bought. Okay. so and they and he's like describing Robert is describing the stress of that situation. Anyway, so then he says, rich dad says, by not giving into your emotions, you were able to delay your reactions and think. That is important. We will always have emotions of fear and greed. From here on in, it's imperative for you to, to use those emotions to your advantage and for the long term to not let your emotions control your thinking. Most people use fear and greed against themselves. That's the start of ignorance. Most people live their lives chasing paychecks, pay raises, and job security because of the emotions of desire and fear, not really questioning where those emotion-driven thoughts are leading them. I said, what are you, fucking Jedis? 
<laughs> he's he's describing like all the things he's doing in the book as well to the reader, like you were saying earlier. He's like, fear is bad. You should be afraid of being poor or you're dumb. Like, that's yeah. like it just like finding these people and exploiting them, basically. And don't let that be you. I, I have this one line here that I wrote down in quotes. Uh, Son, I'm going to teach you tax evasion. <laughs> and then he also like i don't know what this weird stuff is but he's like the rich don't rich dad said with a smile the poor and the middle class do i bet you that i earn more than your dad yet he pays more in taxes he says rich dad explained the rich really did make money they did not work for it and it's like okay we're almost there and then he said i hear things like well everyone has to work or the rich are crooks or i'll get another job i deserve this raise you can't push me around or i like this job because it's secure no one asks, is there something I'm missing here? Uh, he also writes, I constantly work to control my thoughts and my emotions. I've seen this play out over and over in my life. When emotion goes up, intelligence goes down. And I wrote, bitch, are you okay? In the book, I just wrote, cis men create their own problems and then write books about it. Oh, say more about that. It's just like the way that they talk to each other is just like really toxic and shitty. And it's all these systems that they created from a long time ago. And they're like, we have to find a way to crack this system that we created that's oppressing all of us. And if we don't, we'll die. It's like, what if you just like stopped enabling these systems altogether? Well, yeah, but the thing is, is that then what would happen? These people wouldn't, be as able to be rich. I mean, I, I pointed out, you talked about Miss Martin, who's the employee. And uh, he says, at an early age, we found out how hard it was to find good staff. And I wrote, well, maybe they all learned rich dad's advice. It's this separation of of them from these lower rat race type people, which they call them that, because they don't want this to get fixed. They just want to exploit what is already happening. And so I wrote, okay, the advice seems to be like traumatize the people under you and like don't pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> um, in chapter two, he talks about it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. Um, and he talks about how Rich Dad's empire goes to Mike and he has inherited wealth and then he chooses to run the empire, whereas Robert chooses to retire. He talks about a lot of people he admires. All of them are men. So then he gets into his core argument, which is assets versus liabilities. Mm -hmm. An asset puts money in my pocket, whether I work or not. And a liability takes money out of my pocket. And I do agree that we need to ask more questions and not worry about looking stupid, which he does say. But his whole thing is basically like, you need to acquire assets and the poor and middle class acquire liabilities. And he doesn't yeah. really ever unpack why. He also talks about how most accountants and financial professionals don't agree with him, <laughs> um, which is wild. It's, it's bad because... It exploits people without real without any care for doing that. Like it's basically like turn off your emotions is really a big part of it. Yeah. Um, but then the problem is, is that he then does view himself as a good person in the sense that he then, and this again comes up over and over again. He gives to his church. He gives to charity. He's actually like giving all this knowledge to people and teaching them. So he is actually a good person. But it's funny because he'll admit that like all the charitable donations he makes, he doesn't pay taxes on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Like a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it comes down to real estate. That's yeah. a big part of it is buying up as many houses as you can and and then flipping them or tricking people into buying them for more money than they're worth. He's like very much into creating things that make you money passively and not owning anything. 
in his 20-year update, he says, there's a social demand for tax dollars. Higher incomes create even more of a bracket creep as tax rates become more progressive, steeper, to pay for social services, also called entitlements. Social Security and Medicaid entitlement programs face insolvency. <laughs> she probably pay taxes. <laughs> so basically to like sum it up he's saying that people treat their home as their primary asset people say like that buying a house is something that we've been sold as the american dream but he thinks that you should invest in income producing assets rather than something that will depreciate over time although i've never heard that about houses but i wrote people need homes they need to be safe they need it to be affordable and he doesn't realize that people need basic safety uh yeah i agree it's insane that he thinks like a house is something you don't need <laughs> I'm sure he hates the concept of renting because like everyone says that you're like sinking money into something that's not an asset. And the other thing too that kind of leans into that is he said like <laughs> people who have families and need to buy homes are dumb. It's like, what? Yeah. That was a big one. Or he said that uh, people don't get their money together and then they choose to have a kid. And it's like, it's getting into this like obviously like conservative eugenics almost type thing. Uh, and then he says that their like fatal mistake is getting a house. <laughs> yeah. They should simply yeah. all join an MLM, the baby included. Because that's what you Honestly, did. that's how you create your downline is just keep having kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So page 109, he talks about working for a company is your salary and working for the government is taxes. He says, you work for the company. Employees make their business owner or their shareholders rich, not themselves. Your efforts and success will help provide for the owner's success and retirement. Two, you work for the government. The government takes its share from your paycheck before you even see it. By working harder, you simply increase the amount of taxes taken by the government. Most people work from January to May just for the government. Three, you work for the bank. After taxes, your next largest expense is usually your mortgage and credit card debt. Also, he like earlier in the book says something about how people who have credit card debt are like buying shoes or whatever, which I was like, you have no concept of what people use credit cards for. <laughs> um, so my question is, don't we need these people to be doing the work and don't we need them healthy, aka with Medicare, with social services? Right. Like, don't these services that you're paying for help then your employees be better employees? Like, he's missing these, like, crucial right. things that have to just do with humanity. Yeah, he doesn't see them as human. <laughs> That's really what it is. That's what it is. It's like anyone who isn't rich dad is not human. Even his own dad. He's like, fuck my real dad. He's poor. I hate the poor. Like, that's yeah. kind of the theme that I see in every single sentence in this book. So he also lists poor person expenses as tax, rent, food, transportation, and clothes. And Ooh. I wrote, he legit has no idea what poor people spend on. Clothes? <laughs> okay, so chapter three, the rich focus on their asset columns while everyone else focuses on their income statements. Fine, we, f we get it. Um, there's some interesting stuff about the founder of McDonald's where he says he's not in the hamburger business, he's in the real estate business, which I was like, oh, that's actually interesting. Yeah. But 
it's incredibly sinister because he's like, I I put bad food in bad neighborhoods. Right. So it really just kind of shows like, here, you know what? Actually, if you put like shitty, affordable food in these bad neighborhoods where you've bought real estate that's uh, inexpensive, mm-hmm. you can just profit. Poor people in food deserts and that's it. <laughs> right. Um. So this, this is uh, an interesting segment is he says... There's a big difference between your profession and your business. Often I ask people, what is your business? And they will say, oh, I'm a banker. Then I ask them if they own the bank. They usually respond, no, I work there. In that instance, they have confused their profession with their business. Their profession may be banker, but they still need their own business. Businesses do not require my presence. I own them, but they are managed or run by other people. If I have to work there, it's not a business. It becomes my job. I wrote on that part, actually, like, what would he call a doctor? Like, you're not a doctor. <laughs> you work for the doctor who owns the hospital. Like, I feel like he would say that. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't work. He doesn't work. He's never really worked. The last time he worked was when he worked in the dusty shop, which didn't even happen. <laughs> so yeah, he's okay. never worked. So here's another instance of getting very close. Financial struggle is often the result of pe- people working all their lives for someone else. So I wrote, so close, maybe if the workers seized the business or means of production. Yeah, <laughs> that, that brings me to the part uh, where he was talking about hating unions. OK, before we get to the unions, chapter four, Robin Hood. Oh, my God. Robin Hood is a villain. <laughs> Robin Hood is a villain. He hates the here. We f- I wrote, finally, we are here. He hates the poor. That's it. That's it. So. We get to the biggest secret of the rich, which is corporations, fake corporations. He talks about creating everything into a corporation and a corporation is just a file folder in his office and he puts everything through corporations so that he can pay corporate taxes, which I look, I have my business is an S corp. I have a corporation. My money that I make as a writer and like as a director and all that stuff goes through my corporation. That is beneficial for taxes. Although that is a real corporation I am working at. Right. But he's talking about like, again, like how people say, you know, his advice is like, sort of legal. Yeah. So can you talk about how he views Robin Hood? Uh, he hates Robin Hood. He thinks Robin Hood is evil. Um, in his mind, taking from the rich and giving to the poor is bad. So he literally is a reverse Robin Hood or that's how he sees himself, which literally means, like I said before, he's a super villain. He doesn't think the government should help people. He says that the taxes were created to punish the rich, but then in reality, it wound up punishing the poor and the middle class. Right, so he's like, Oh, this is true. Yes. (laughs) So maybe we should enforce the tax code. Right. He says the government, He his educated dad believed the government should help people. He doesn't like the government. Um, He thinks the government workers are a pack of lazy thieves. And I wrote, stealing for who? Lazy thieves, stealing for who? You can say it. Poor people. Yeah. You can say it. Sick people. Right. But you don't want to say it. No, he doesn't. (laughs) Um, again, right info, wrong conclusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, on page 154, I wrote, holy shit. So let's see what I was reacting to. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay. 
Having two fathers teaching me, one a socialist and the other a capitalist, I quickly began to realize that the philosophy of the capitalist made more financial sense to me. It seemed to me that the socialists ultimately penalized themselves due to their lack of financial education. No matter what the take from the rich crowd came up with, the rich always found a way to outsmart them. That is how taxes were eventually levied on the middle class. The rich outsmarted the intellectuals solely because they understood the power of money, a subject not taught in schools. So then I wrote, behead them all. (laughs) I agree. Uh, It's just, it's so, so evil and upsetting that he like keeps admitting that he's doing bad stuff. And he also admits that he's stupid because he's like, we dummies outsmarted the intellectuals by oppressing them. Because at the end of the day, it's just oppression. He's like admitting that like oppressed people are smart and he's like just trying to outsmart them by being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> By stealing yeah. Their resources and making everything too expensive for them. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's wild. Like he talks about like, you know, I think it's like just this thing of like having the cheat codes and mm-hmm. then taking people's blood, sweat and tears. Right. Um, All of this could be resolved by just fixing the tax code, but he has no interest in that. No. <laughs> um, Rich dad wanted me to recognize his power and to desire to have that power for myself one day. And I wrote down ritual abuse. Mm -hmm. Rich dad constantly reminded Mike and me that the biggest bully was not the boss or the supervisor, but the tax man. A corporation earns, spends everything it can, and is taxed on anything that is left. Then he talks about protecting himself from lawsuits. And he says, why are, and I wrote, why are you getting sued so often? And then he calls them brats who call attorneys to file lawsuits every time something doesn't go their way. I feel like if you are getting a slew of lawsuits (laughs) and you still don't recognize that you're the problem, one or two lawsuits, okay. He's getting sued 400 times. How does he not realize he's bad (laughs) he just because he was taught that these people are just like trying to get a handout that everyone who isn't doing what he's like there's no you're right in that there's no empathy is that there's no concept that people might be different right (laughs) that people might have different circumstances i wrote that he's at least providing advice that is actually true it is true that corporations pay you know pay less in taxes it is true that these rich people are using exploitation and things like that in order to to get rich you know he he is telling tales out of school in some sense because he's like attempts to punish the rich rarely work because the rich find ways to minimize their tax burden they provide low salaries and no no new jobs which rich dad you know says saved him money and made the investors love him whereas like poor dad in the government is trying to raise salaries and create jobs and that's Stupid. It's just that, like, he admits that, like, he's exploiting and abusing people, but for some reason, he thinks that whoever is reading this book is going to be like, I'm sick of being oppressed. I'm going to just stop being oppressed. And he like he's like gaslighting the reader into thinking that's possible at all. Or that stop being oppressed and become the oppressor. So... Chapter five, he says, people resist change, but what they want is radical change. And he says, I don't want to be part of those left behind. And he talks about real estate and land agreements and playing the game in a way that others cannot. So basically shorting the real estate market, shopping with a bankruptcy attorney's office or the courthouse steps, go like displacing people by buying foreclosures, sheltering Uh. it all through a corporation, making tax exempt foundations, you know, when he calls these people intellectuals or government people or whatever, 
It's this very insidious thing that comes up a lot in these books where they give the point of view that is kind and empathetic and world changing. And then they take that view, they give it, they they let you read it. Mm-hmm. And then they take that view and they go, that's naive. And that's the thing that Republicans say about leftists is like, yeah. you're not living in the real world. You're naive. You don't know what you're talking about. And he makes sure every time to sort of pepper in these things of like, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Um, so anyway, back to real estate. He is buying a 60K home. He's selling it for 70K. He's finding foreclosures, which are incredible. It's incredibly evil. He -hmm. talks about it's wonderful because there are late fees or if they move out and the property can be sold again, whatever it is with foreclosures or evictions, the court system handles that. He doesn't really have to think about it. He's reselling homes to people who think they are bargains. He's putting it inside a real estate corporation. So there's like several million dollars of property in a real estate investment trust, which a lot of people have spoken out about lately because it gentrifies areas outside of cities. It takes advantage of the terrible economy. He does this thing where he puts in offers on these houses and ties it up with a written contract. Like it's all these things that are like technically legal, but I'm like sort of like can't believe he's putting them on paper. But then he says, nothing I have written is a recommendation, which like, okay. And then the world is full of talented, poor people. And he talks about people needing to learn sales, which I don't disagree with. Yeah, like you're saying, he's like describing gentrification. He's describing like very inhumane practices. And also, I'm guessing it's because this book was written in, what, 1997, that he can find a house for (laughs) $60,000. I was like, are these made up numbers? I'm like, okay. And he just kept describing like in like weird detail, buying a house for whatever, adding $10,000, selling it, adding $10,000, selling it over and over and over again. And I'm like, okay, so this is just his weird game of cat and mouse where he really likes getting an extra $10,000 because that's not even a lot. Like, yeah. That was the other thing. I get that he's doing this en masse, but it's like he's describing getting $10,000 extra a year and like reinvesting it. And who really has the time for that? That's his whole job. He's yeah. not doing anything. He's not doing anything. He's busy, like, s- literally slinking outside bankruptcy offices, preying on people who are crying. So then he also says this one thing where he says he includes in the contracts um, pending business partner's approval. So he can just renege at any time. So he can go through all this shit with these people and then he can say, actually, uh, I'm so sorry, my business partner doesn't want to do this. And it says in the contract. And then he says they don't have to know that my business partner is my cat. How dare he rope the cat into this? <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter six, we're going to get into what you think about his unions. Uh, Oh, yeah. So he's still very anti-school, which is fine. I mean, it does. You did point out that it does make him anti-reading, which is. Which is hilarious. Okay. (laughs) You know, he talks about building up your skills and and. He also talks about, again, like using factories overseas for what he's doing, which I wrote, again, who works for you? He doesn't seem really that worried about that. Yeah. Um, Also, okay, he says this insane fear-mongering thing, which is, 
Already, many hospitals in countries with socialized medicine need to make tough decisions such as who will live and who will die. Which isn't true at all. (laughs) Absolutely not. Retirement will instead stress government assistance programs and entitlements. What? I was literally reading earlier today about how ERs in America, thanks to our capitalist healthcare, actually do make decisions like that. Like he's describing the hell that we have here and like the wonderful systems they have elsewhere. He's just lying. It reminds me of the like when they were like, this is uh, if you pass the ACA, there's going to be like death trials for elderly people. Do you remember that? No. Holy shit. Oh, it was like this whole thing where they were like, "Uh, the government's going to decide if your grandpa lives or dies, which like, guess what? That happened during COVID in our fucking country. I was just going to say yeah, that happened to me. Like what? Yeah. Holy shit. So then, okay, we're going to give, we're going to finally get into the two things you want to talk about, which is he recommends joining an MLM. So please continue. What happened there? So he like recommended basically that you join an MLM, which made me laugh out loud. I really did. (laughs) I cackled. It made me LOL in real life. Um, Why does he say you should do that? So you don't have to actually work. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Read, read page 228. Okay. Oh, this is pretty funny. Instead of simply working for the money and security, which I admit are important, I suggest they take a second job that will teach them a second skill. Often I recommend joining a network marketing company, also called multi-level marketing, if they want to learn sales skills. Mm, yes. He thinks you should join an MLM. Yes, good idea. Uh, and he admits that he doesn't work for his money again, yes. which is almost every other sent- sentence in the book. So now, now he goes into unions. So what's the yeah. deal with his feelings on unions? He said that his dad loved unions, his real dad. His real the dad. The one who was like a hard worker and a socialist and probably a good person. Yeah, <laughs> right. He, he liked his union because it protected him from getting abused by his boss. And then he said, uh, like Robert said, oh, I guess like unions are okay. Like I kind of get how my dad liked it because it protected him or whatever, but I don't like them because they prevent bosses from exploiting their workers, basically. So he's probably a union buster. He kind of hides behind Rich Dad and he says like, Rich Dad didn't like unions. And I think- if we take into account that perhaps Rich Dad did not exist, it's sort yeah. of like a like a fight club where like he's actually Tyler Durden. And right. so like he's Rich Dad. So he gets the, the benefit of saying, listen, I'm just reporting back what Rich Dad said. But yeah. really, it's what he believes, which is you should not have people unionizing. And he even says like, you know, if you're in a specialized field, you can unionize. But if you are just a regular job, do not unionize. He says... My rich dad, on the other hand, spent his life doing his best to keep his companies from becoming unionized. Although the unions came close, rich dad was always able to fight them off. So we're into chapter seven now. He says the primary difference between a rich person and a poor person is how they manage fear. So that's fun. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the five main reasons why financially literate people may still not develop abundant asset columns that could produce a large cash flow. The five reasons are fear, cynicism, laziness, bad habits, and arrogance. Then he says, he quotes Rich Dad saying, I like Texas and Texans. In Texas, everything is bigger. When Texans win, they win big. And when they lose, it's spectacular. They like losing, I asked. That's not what I'm saying. Nobody likes losing. Show me a happy loser and I'll show you a loser, said Rich Dad. It's a Texan's attitude towards risk, reward, and failure I'm talking about. It's how they handle life. They live it big. Not like most of the people around here living like roaches 
When it comes oh to money, terrified that someone will shine a light on them and whimpering when the grocery store clerk shortchanges them a quarter. You hate poor people. I was trying to explain that part of the book to my girlfriend yesterday because I was complaining about him. And I was like, he fucking loves Texas. He doesn't ever bring up why. He's not from Texas or anywhere even close to Texas. But I think it's just because he knows there's a lot of Republicans there. That's and that's his is. audience. Like, that has to be what it is. Yes, you're um, correct. So... Then he says, John D. Rockefeller, he quotes him saying, I always tried to turn every disaster into an opportunity. And I wrote, at whose expense? And I think about the people who took the PPE loans and then just like, made, you know, invested and made a bunch of money off of them. People who like went into New Orleans after Katrina and just started like buying up real estate. Like people who are like, okay, it's a disaster for who? And it's a, and if it's your personal disaster, the fact that you can crawl out of it and turn it into an opportunity is a huge privilege. You're already right. coming. Also, you're a Rockefeller already. Um, and, I, you know, it's like he writes, for most people, the reason they don't win financially is because the pain of losing money is far greater than the joy of being rich. And I wrote, they will die. Yeah, it's not about joy and pain. It's about life and death. Exactly. Exactly. I hate this man. (laughs) Okay, then we have to, I'm sorry to keep doing this to you, but we have to get into stuff. Okay, busy people are often the most lazy. Okay, so this, is this the one where he like admits that rich people are lazy again? Yes. Shall, Shall I read it? Yes. Okay. Busy people are often the most lazy. True. We have all heard stories of a businessman who works hard to earn money. He works hard to be a good provider for his wife and children. Extremely heterosexual. Yep. Already misogynist. He spends long hours at the office and brings work home on weekends. One day he comes home to an empty house. His wife has left with the kids. He knew he and his wife had problems, but rather than work to make the relationship strong, he stayed at work. Dismayed, his performance at work slips and he loses his job. So he's describing a nightmare <laughs> scenario based on people's worst fears, probably the people reading, reading this book. book. Yeah, that if you work too hard in a nine to five, your wife and kids will be mad that you made them a steady income and leave you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it doesn't say why that he was at work too much. So his worst nightmare came true. It is a scare tactic. Yeah. If they aren't busy at work or with the kids, they're often busy watching TV, fishing, playing golf or shopping. Laziness by staying busy. So here's the thing. Again, he has no concept of what p- poor people are doing. Um, no. The answer is a little greed as the cure. And he says basically that you you need to be like the greed is good and that greed will make you want to work harder. <sighs> well, he admits I could be completely wrong. What he's like a religious guy, right? Absolutely. Oh, Christ, Christ and God in heaven come up a lot in like Christianity. Greed is like one of the main bad things, right? Like, yes. Like, like yes. A deadly sin. So he's like, yeah, I actually don't believe in that shit. <laughs> well, it's funny because Dave Ramsey, I read, uh, I've been reading Dave Ramsey too, and he's very Christian. And he mm. also does this whole song and dance about how actually we're misunderstanding what the Bible says about greed, which I can't even get into here. But they're, like, these yeah, Christian okay. these Christian writers, largely a lot of these wealth writers are very Christian. 
And part of it is that they need to then bend over backwards to make sense of this money. And uh, a lot of it comes down to the prosperity gospel, which is the idea that if someone is wealthy, it's because God wants them to be wealthy. And this is the explanation for megachurch pastors. Why Dave Ramsey is able to be a good Christian, but also have a bunch of money and try to avoid taxes, which is something Jesus would never want. Not that I know Jesus, but I'm just saying from, I'm Jewish, but from everything I've heard about the guy. Um, (laughs) So then he has this very interesting point of view that I don't mind where he says he pays himself first. And what he means is that he pays himself his uh, salary first. And then Mm -hmm. he lets the bills and creditors scream at him. And he says, the pressure to pay becomes my motivation. So the he pays himself and buys what he wants, whatever. And then he puts off bills and everything else because he's like the loudness of these bills and these credit card collectors <laughs> hounding at my door motivates me to work my second job or to find more money, which I'm like, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. It's certainly not doable for most people. Definitely, I could never do that. Um, because <laughs> I do sort of enjoy the arrogance of like not caring that these people are mad. Like, you know, like, because I was like, like, a, if you get a late payment or something and you're like, oh my God, a late payment, like part of it is like the late payment. The other part of it is like, I feel so ashamed about my late payment. The other part of it is like, oh my God, this person, you know, at the bank is probably mad at me. That's right. which is like an anxiety that's probably not true. But a lot of us have that, right? So I'm interested in the idea of letting that go. Right. It's just funny because he's definitely sitting in a place where like he has savings accounts with millions of dollars. So even if like a debt collector came to his door, he would just be like, here's a million dollars. Like there's no, like he's not going to go to jail because he's, he's evading all these lawsuits. So he, he doesn't seem to understand that these things are compounded. So there's the stress of working the the nine to five and then the stress of the second job and then the stress of not seeing your kids and then the stress of the creditor and then the stress of the debt collector. Like he's not understanding that all of these things are happening concurrently. Yeah. Wild. Because he doesn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. So then he says, my accountant and bookkeeper screamed in panic. They're going to come after you. The IRS is going to put you in jail. You're going to ruin your credit rating. They'll cut you off. They'll cut off the electricity. I still paid myself first. I let the creditors and the government scream. They inspire me to go out and create more money. The worst of times is the best of times to make money is something he says. And then also this sort of thing about getting rid of complaints, this sort of going in and and saying the thing, the complaint, and then telling you you're stupid for thinking that is the rich dad says cynics criticize and winners analyze. Which is like, I think a thing that we very much see with like Trump and like other rich people and like Republican people and and people that say like, I'm above reproach because you're criticizing me and uh, your opinion doesn't matter because I'm wealthy. (laughs) Right. Sad. Yeah. Then he comes for me personally by saying... There are many people in the world of money, finances, and investments who have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And that is also a way to be like, you see, you might, you know, you might listen to these people who might have these socialist ideas uh, and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Oh, Rich Dad. Oh, there was one thing I forgot to mention that I was looking at. Tell me. He has his own monopoly game called Cashflow. Tell me more. So part of his like deal is that he just makes weird shit. (laughs) So he created a board game and he has all these anecdotes in the book that are not real of like 
specifically this woman who took one of his MLM classes, basically like in a hotel lobby, like really sad. Uh, And they made, or he made them all play cash flow, this like stupid game about investing, like super infantilizing. And she was like, this game's stupid. I thought you were going to teach us about stocks or whatever he was going to say. And then he's like, "Hmm, you don't want to play my board game. Well, your life's going to be bad. And then he's like, she came back to me three months later and her husband left her or something like that. And like she, because of money, because she didn't play the game right. Right. So he he creates these like fake anecdotes about how if you don't play his dumb fake Monopoly, then your like husband will leave you. Yes. Yes. Is there anything (laughs) before we go into the, is there anything that you marked down that we do, that you do want to mention that, that I breezed past? Oh yeah. The the weird age pressure he puts on investing where he says like, if you want to be actually rich, you have to be rich by 20 or like start investing by 20. Most 20 year olds are, I think the specific line is if you start young, it's easier to be rich. I won't go in into it here. Of course you won't. Uh, But there's a staggering difference between a person who starts investing at 20 versus age 30 then he goes on to say a bunch of problematic stuff about buying manhattan for cheap which like obviously we know why that happened like it was like not good he's like he basically is like i would have done it better which is super fucked up um that's all in the same paragraph that's why i thought of it but anyway he's like trying to freak people out who are reading this in their 30s who are like whoa i'm already 30 something i need to like start investing because i should have had all this money when i was 20 Mm -hmm. well it's interesting and and you and i are both white so we can't like get into this but it is fascinating that he is aapi and is hawaiian and it seems to idolize specifically white men and talk and i think part of the talk about texas is also admiring white Republicans. The fact that he says, I would buy Manhattan, not that all minorities should think of each other, but... (laughs) I can't comment more than that. It was just crazy. I was like... Why it just came up out of nowhere. It was like, I don't I don't know if that's relevant here, but that's okay, I guess. I don't know. But just like the general insanity of these charts. He makes these insane graphs where uh he starts with his income, his like assets, liabilities, and expenses, and just like a crazy look. And like if I look at it long enough, I can follow it. And I know if a Republican were to hear me right now, they would just call me an idiot. But these are very confusing graphs. Also, what's in the graphs, right? So, like, what does he put in the graphs? Well, he puts, like, income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his income, he does, like, a poor person's income and his. And then a poor poor person is, like, their job. And, like, they have to pay for food and whatever. And his will be, like, rental income, royalties, interest. Like, all this stuff that he doesn't really ever describe how he gets it. And the way he gets it is because he's rich. Like, he's already rich, so he's able to do that. But it's just kind of, like, a shamey thing where he'll put, like, a poor person Mm -hmm. and their expenses. And it's just, it's funny to me. So it'll be, like, all my income goes towards food and shelter. Well, mine goes towards my property. (laughs) It's just, yeah. It just, it just felt so insulting. Also, another note I found is just, I don't know if you can see that, just as this guy's a dick. <laughs> what made you write that? The end of chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> and then pretty much all the other stuff that I saw, I don't know if I can, this is like, you know the stuff about the boomers, like having a lot of exposure to lead. <laughs> he describes a long sequence of him as a child. He and his friends create counterfeit money made of lead. <laughs> or he and like. 
Uh, and he describes this extremely long sequence where he's like, huh, dad, you said we can't make money. We'll show you. So he collects all the lead in his town and melts it into little coins. And so he makes counterfeit money. And his dad is like, whoa, you can't do that. And then Mike's dad's like, keep doing that. <laughs> so basically, like, he got massive lead exposure. And, <laughs> and that happens in the first chapter. <laughs> Is that sets the tone for like how he thinks forever. That is so funny. He just So if that's it's real, foreshadowing that he doesn't realize is foreshadowing. He just like admits and I wrote down he has lead brain. Um it's just a general note for all boomers is that they, they do like really have lead brain. Um, Weren't they like chewing on pencils when they were kids that like fully had lead in them? <laughs> in school, lead. asbestos falling from the steel ceiling like they just... Yeah. I mean, to be fair, my own, it's very funny because my dad... It's not funny, but my dad was like a, a huge drug addict. And I always thought he had like no consequences. But then we were like at the lake. He was, We were like swimming in a lake. And he was like, oh, yeah, I basically like have no space between my nostrils. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. And he was like, it's all the cocaine. And I just like love, he's like 75. I just love like the idea that like it's catching up to him in some way. And he just has no separation between his nostrils. And I, but him in the 70s is like, woo, cocaine. Like he doesn't care. So I'm like, you know what? Good. A boomer should have some consequences. Oh my gosh. This whole book is a consequence of this guy doing that one act. Yeah. Yeah, I think you <laughs> solved it. Oh, my God. Another really dumb thing that I noticed, he just writes the same sentences over and over again. And ironically, it's around the part where he admits to having a lead break. <laughs> so <laughs> sentences that I just highlighted are, the milk cartons were filled with plaster of Paris. White powder was everywhere. So this is when he's creating the, the lead <laughs> points. Then one more sentence down, the milk cartons were the outer containers for plaster of Paris molds. Oh, so no. those are pretty much the same sentence. Oh no! And he and he wasn't that old when he wrote this. If it was in 1997, like he was middle aged, like was he like 50 years old? Yeah. Did he not so, have an editor? No, he didn't. Probably either. Like he just like recorded himself and like had someone transcribe it. But that really, he didn't that write his out. own book, Christina. That's that's oh, what yeah. stupid people do. He definitely hired someone on Wish. Yep. And they wrote this book. Yeah. So I can't, I know we have, I haven't read it, but I can't believe he co-authored books with Trump and I need to know more. Oh, uh, I didn't even know yeah. that. It makes a lot of sense. So chapter eight is, uh, he says, financially, with every dollar we get in our hands, we hold the power to choose our future, to be rich, poor, or middle class. Poor people have poor spending habits. A common bad habit is innocently called dipping into savings. The rich know that savings are only used to create more money, not to pay bills. I just choose to be rich, and I make that choice every day. 90% of the population buys TV sets, but only 10% buy business books. Thoughts? <laughs> well, that just brings me back to my point that he doesn't read. Right. Well, he has to read business books and you can't watch TV. TV rots your brain. I can't listen to him because he doesn't read. Like... So I can't listen to any advice he has about buying books because I think he means he literally buys them and just puts them on a shelf. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> this is all the, this, the most, like, out-of-touch stuff I've ever heard. He also... uh 
I feel like arrogant or critical people are often people with low self-esteem who are afraid of taking risks. So again, it's this idea that anyone who criticizes him is just a loser. He talks right. about choosing your friends carefully and we, he gets into the power of association. Friends with money talk about money and are interested in money. Friends who have no money have never come to them to ask how they did it, but they do come asking for a loan or a job. Don't listen to poor or frightened people. He also literally says he, insider trading. He says do it. Insider trading. How far away from the inside are you? The reason you want to have rich friends is because that is where the money is made. It's made on information. I'm not saying do it illegally, but the sooner you know, the better your chances are for profits with minimal risk. And I just wrote, who has access to this? So he's he's right. coming up with the right idea again, but he's with the wrong conclusion. Yeah. yeah. The rich break the rules, basically, is what's happening. The rich are the rich break the rules. The other the crazy thing he said too about his like poor friends or whatever, I think there was a, a single line in this chapter where he was like, I am only friends with them, so I know what not to be exactly. like. Oh my God, can you imagine being his friend who's poor? Robert, can you please help me buy food? No, I, I'm just going to memorize this and like never be like you because you're a loser. I don't know. Who's hanging out with him? He doesn't have any poor friends. I don't think he has any friends. No, zero. He Trump is his friend. I don't really know. Oh, yeah. Um, he also makes these, and this happens a lot in these books where, and Dave Ramsey does this all the time, where he makes connections between things that aren't connected. Like, what I find funny is that so many poor and middle class people insist on tipping restaurant help 15 to 20%, even for bad service, but complain about paying a broker 3 to 7%. Those are unrelated. Completely unrelated. He also hates tipping waitresses. Hates now we know. There's- hates tipping. Will not tip. Rich people don't tip. So then I'm going to go into chapter nine just because there's so much. So... He talks about like making all of these offers, writes six offers and offers half of what the owners ask for. The real estate agent is like, this is so rude. It ends up that he's just like, whatever, I don't give a fuck about these people or what they want or how they live their lives. I'm just going to take their homes. He doesn't, sometimes he doesn't give bad advice, but it's just like, at least he's being honest as part of it. Like he's very honest about, he's like, do insider trading, don't pay taxes. Like he's shockingly honest. And that I would say is the benefit of this book. You get to learn how like a crazy evil rich Yes, you really are getting a sense. And so, you know, he says, consumers will always be poor. Look for people who want to buy first and then look for someone who wants to sell. Small people remain small because they think small, act alone or don't act at all. So he's basically like figure out what people want in the market and then take advantage of that, which is it is advice. Yeah. (laughs) And he talks about finagling more real estate deals and how to do that by, you know, avoiding taxes. He says, you know, there's three incomes, ordinary earned portfolio and passive. Passive is derived from real estate assets. Portfolio is paper assets, stocks and bonds. And then taxes are the highest on earned income. The least taxed is passive income. And then you convert Earned income to passive and portfolio, which is fine and good. It's one way to do things. And he also sells his own program by talking about return on investment. And he gives a whole explanation about why his program is so expensive and why it has to be expensive. And that is the thing is that at the end of all of these books... The person writing it will then direct you straight to their website. And his website is a funny name. Is it richdad.com or something? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's richdad.com. Yeah, anyway. he just says, I mean, look, we're giving him the the plug. A lot of these books are like, here's how to save money. Here's what to do. All this stuff. Here's how you manage your money. Head to my website where you will then pay me. Right. 
and then I'm making money. All of this could just be an ad for this one thing. Oh, yeah. This is kind of like going off what we just talked about a little bit. But it's funny that he was selling his seminar at the end of the book or whatever, because I was researching him just a little bit. Like, I didn't get a lot. But all over TikTok, people just upload his seminars. Like, they're there for free. Really? And it's, it's just like a, a public form of opinions on his book. But he he's like, I feel a little bad because he's kind of old now. And he's like holding up a, a marker and he's just like, be rich. And like, here's what to do. And it's just like a whiteboard. And he's just like talking and he's just babbling. Um, so that's all for free. So he probably shouldn't have tried to put a paywall behind this when like a lot of it's just there. And are people in the, what is he talking about? Is he, is he making any sense? And are people in the comments like providing arguments to be like, this is, here's why this is bad? Uh, I think a lot of people on that side of TikTok are mostly Republicans, like conservative type people. And even they like are like, no, <gasps> really <laughs> not all of this is true. So I was like shocked. He definitely has his like fan base or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of mixed, mixed response. Like you said, you were right, is that it really is just a actual honest look into the evil and like what they are mm-hmm. doing. Whereas like to compare again to like Dave Ramsey, Ramsey is like, Jesus wants us to do this. But uh, this guy is sort of like unaware that he's just telling on himself. It's them revealing to us uh, for free, basically, that they hate poor people. And like you get you get the peace of mind knowing that. And what they're actually doing and how we should enforce the tax code and how we should look into are these corporations real and how we should fight against real estate trusts. And, you know, like what what is actually going on behind gentrification? Like it's almost like it's like, thank you for the enemy's playbook right yeah exactly it's crazy too because like <laughs> like any fans of this book are gaslighting you. those are my closing statements. they're they're gonna circumvent the point and they're gonna try to come up with like some intellectual reason that he's actually right and like you shouldn't criticize him but he like wants all of us dead that's it <laughs> all of us uh-huh. poor people dead we're cockroaches and rats steen we're cockroaches to him he admits it he says we're lazy and stupid for feeding our children and yeah, I would never defend this guy. <laughs> Those are my closing statements. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and more about you? Uh, you can find me on TikTok primarily. Uh, my handle is dot 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 steen, S-T-E-E-N. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much where I am right now. Amazing. Thank you so much for listening and for powering through all of that with us. If you have a suggestion of a book you want me and a guest to read and review on this show uh, so you don't have to, please leave it at GabbyIsBadWithMoney at gmail.com or call in at 844-474-4040. You can also leave a voice memo if you prefer. You can also comment on Instagram, TikTok, Patreon, Discord. We are all over those places. Links will be below. Coming up soon, we are going to dive into Dave Ramsey and his book, Baby Steps Millionaire, with financial feminist Tori Dunlap of Her First 100K. We also have a bunch of other episodes coming up that break down other stuff, but we do need recs for books. So if you have a finance book that you want me to read, I'll I'll do it. I'm committing. I'll do it. I will say that my partner and my co-host Mal Blum, uh, who will join us on the mailbag on Friday, have said that these books get me too riled. But let's do it. I do it for you guys. So again, please leave me recommendations for books that you want me to read and talk about. I do it for you, the people. Okay, love you. Bye. Done. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.